Welcome to In the Landscape, a podcast on all things landscape design and care related with your hosts, Kate and Charles Sadler. Okay, here we are in studio for another episode of In the Landscape, sitting down at our mics and uh, hopefully going to generate a I was going to say thrilling conversation, but I can't imagine it's ever thrilling. We did get some positive response to our vines episode. There's mm-hmm. something about the specificity of plants and, you know, like, boy, if we did a succulents episode, I mean, you just like, all you have to do is mention the type and the oh, folks right. who are enthusiasts are like, yeah, succulents, bring it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so maybe we will do a succulents episode for those of you out there hoping. <laughs> no, those can be, they're somewhat popular as a centerpiece on a table. Oh yeah, they're indoor, great indoor, outdoor. outdoor. It's exciting to see them in their native habitat because they're so, I don't want to say otherworldly, but a little bit because they're not the average deciduous woody whatever with fairly broad leaves, you know, that we're used to. They've got that waxiness and sometimes the variety of color. So that's something that once you get drilled down to that level of, like horticultural interest, it certainly generates enthusiasm. So mm-hmm. again, thrilling, not sure, <laughs> <laughs> but enthusiasm, certainly great. I'm one of your hosts here every week. My name is Kate Sadler and with me in studio is Charles Sadler. Charles Sadler. You know, when we first started the podcast, it was hard to even get our names out. <laughs> <laughs> right. How do you do it? it is, yeah, it's weird. It's like Especially at the beginning, it didn't really feel like we were talking to anyone, well, not even in particular. But, you know, we do have folks who download our podcast, I think, regularly. <laughs> Some mm-hmm. people are, are in touch with us on social media. And so you start to really get a sense that there are people out there listening. And we're not mm-hmm. just talking to each other, which maybe it, it began as that, although we do. We certainly have a, a repartee. <laughs> but there are listeners. They're real people. You do get a sense of them as a podcaster, right? In a way that I, I know we didn't. I didn't have at the outset. Anyway, it helps inspire the the you know, thinking. What would be interesting to listeners? There's, I'm like a curious person, and mm-hmm. I'm always like I read a lot, but then thinking, how can we translate that so it's entertaining, interesting, and then as we're learning and sharing it, I think that that enthusiasm comes through. I think. Definitely. Which hopefully that's part of the magic. <laughs> well, and we're coming up on our sort of one year anniversary of moving down here to Texas from our New York home. And we did a drive through the eastern United States to, and then cut across through Louisiana. Um, we followed the Appalachian Mountains. Yeah. So that was an interesting, the memories are coming up. And of course, with us, it's mostly landscape photos. <laughs> so we're seeing, you know, the... Catskill Mountains, I guess we took like a quick detour. Oh, you know, there were, faults. you know, there were plants, uh, goldenrod that was in bloom. Mm. On some places that wouldn't be in bloom until late in the fall. But I remember there was a little bit of fall color on some of the, on some mm. of the trees. And I do know that that is sometimes a sign of like drought stress, but also, you know, the light, the nights were getting longer and things were cooling down here. It's fun to think of our listeners in the Southern Hemisphere kind of feeling the, you know, get having the, like the spring is sort of around the corner here. Oh, right. Um, you know, a so well-known uh, garden designer, like larger than life personality, uh, I think it's Paul Bangay, who has an incredible property. 
And so he's always posts like the latest, like a foggy morning or misty. Mm. And so to see the seasons, it's like a significantly large, and it's a designed landscape. Mm. Mm. And so to see the inverse of the seasons is quite fascinating. Well, we're, I mean, I guess a little stir crazy because we can't travel. <laughs> we shouldn't travel. That's probably not responsible right now. And in some ways we're not permitted to travel. So, but we have, you know, some of our summer, again, you know, with social media, these summer travel photos come up and Australia is a big, Australia and New Zealand is a big destination mm-hmm. on our list. Of course, I mean, who wouldn't love to go, but I don't know. We'll, we'll get back to traveling the whole world. We'll get on the move again. It'll be fun to, to kind of get out and about and see new places. Right. So today's episode, we're actually going to focus on business. And it's interesting because now that we have a number of episodes in our catalog, we're going to start the feed that hosts our podcast is... Podbean? Yeah, well, it's Podbean. And, and it's just like Apple, iTunes or whatever. Wherever you get your podcasts, the host is only going to list them in sort of numerical order. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's chronological. That's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> But one idea we have for the website is to start grouping them by category so that if you're interested, you want to find a back issue episode in our catalog because you're really like, well, I don't know. You always go on these jags. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, like when Oaks I met of you, Mexico. yes, when I met you, it was oak trees. And uh, and I thought that was charming, which is probably why we're married. So, um, <laughs> but, you know, it's nice to have we don't have a lot of. Tagging, I guess, is a useful option, but I think maybe going in and finding things under under categories would be maybe a helpful way because this we do want this to be somewhat educational and so much can be organized on the web that why not? So if you want to hop over to kinggardeninc.com and look at our show page, I'm not saying we're going to get it done immediately, but you can always find back episodes there All right. depending on where you listen. And eventually we'll kind of get them organized by categories so that you can start to search for things that may correspond to what your specific landscape interest is at the time. And our classes, we're working in that direction too. Yeah, Whether we are. Whether it be like yeah. design category classes, pruning classes, horticulture. Where it reminds me of when growing up in Rochester, New York, and becoming an illustrator, I, I spent a lot of time at, at newsstands. Mm. So there was downtown Rochester, there was an international newsstand mm-hmm. that had where the newsprint was, let's say it came from India, it was like a pink newspaper or mm. it was from another country. It was green, you know, mm-hmm. so it just sort of be, it was exotic, but there were, there were categories. So there'd be a photography category of magazines mm-hmm. or a nature section. Mm-hmm. And so it's almost going back to that, these categories yeah. that if I know I want like a garden topic, I might be saying, oh, I bet there's going to be an English garden magazine. Mm-hmm. And then there's one from New Zealand. I think, oh, I wouldn't have thought of looking for that, yeah. but that it's in a category. It helps facilitate that, hopefully. And we're always open to suggestions. You know, hopefully we didn't disappoint anybody who was like browsing our class catalog. We pulled a few of the titles down just so we could finish the production schedule. That got a little bit delayed on a few of them, but we are, we're driving some of those home so that they're going to be, and then there'll be a complete course asynchronous. You can take it at your own pace, you know, kind of like binge watching a show. I think it's nice to have everything at your disposal when you find the time. Mm -hmm. So we wanted that to be available because what we were doing was unveiling the modules in kind of like a sequence. 
which was getting a little hard to predict. We were doing it like <laughs> about a, like a module a week is what when well, we were on track. Yeah, when we were on track, and which then, then it felt like a class. But at the moment, it's, just a number of projects yeah. that have come in. I know. Well, we're, we're very grateful for that. So anyway, if you were interested, head on over there. Boxwood is 100% complete. We're going to get one of our design courses back up, more of our pruning courses. So it is exciting to now be accredited and working in that area. Mm-hmm. Um, That's a big accomplishment. American Society of Landscape Architects is rigorous. I mean, yes. it's to become a licensed landscape architect is very rigorous. And then you have to see continuing education. Mm-hmm. And so it's nice to be associated. You know, there's neat, uh, exciting press release. I don't have the man's name at my fingertips, but American Society of Landscape Architects, they just announced a new CEO. Oh, great. That yeah, I saw you post be, something. That has like, he has a real exciting background. He happens to be African-American. Tori Carter Conine, I think <clears throat> is maybe how you pronounce his last name. Tori yeah, so that, Carter Conine. So that's very innovative. I mean, it's... That's exciting. Like the, I mean, I think that's, I am no expert on, the, on diversity, but... I mean, having folks, having a diverse range of leaders, mm. it's not enough just to say, just to speak the words, mm-hmm. you know, the show, like if I'm a, a native plant advocate, mm-hmm. I, I better be using them, you know? Right. Like, yes. I, yes. It's like actions speak louder than words. Definitely. So that was like heartwarming to see. Yeah. And especially in positions of leadership, because then you have people driving agenda, like policy and, you know, in ways that are informed by an experience that you don't necessarily have if there isn't diversity. Like that's really what the strength is. So yeah, great. That's, that's exciting. So let's see today's, the reason we're kind of talking about this weird range of topics at the outset, you know, we always do a little catch up, but we're a little bit into the episode has to do with business, being in business as a landscape design practice. Mm -hmm. Uh, At one point, sole proprietorship, you know, I'll say about the classes, one of the exciting things is that, you know, it was it was a way to diversify our business portfolio, I guess. I don't know what terminology you would use. But like the podcast, like the social media, I mean, we're starting to get responses for some of the assignments. So it's not just that you watch a lecture and then nothing happens with it because, you know, there's a lot on YouTube. We can all watch the DIY shows. Those are great and informative. But there's a there's sort of this feedback loop where, you know, if, if you have the time and the interest, you can send us photos or you can send us your, your, for the design course, it's like, send us your practice design or your plant palette. And, you know, we will then engage with you in an educational like experience, which is what we want it to be. Mm -hmm. Um, Because there's a lot of edutainment out there for sure. And we're kind of like joining that, (laughs) that world. But we also want it to be practical and useful and a really rich kind of multifaceted educational experience. And it stays with you. Yeah. I mean, and then we're reaching people, you know, that it's like there are actual people out there that are, you know, having a good experience, basically, mm-hmm. of your design, first and foremost. And then in terms of, you know, the educational offerings in terms of those. And we're also mindful that the that the organisms in the landscapes that we interact with are having a good experience. Right, to be respectful of those, yeah. that, that we all play a part. It's not, there's not a dominant, like one element is most important or mm. dominant. It's mm. like this cooperative collaboration with the landscape, with the client, mm-hmm. with the employees. Mm-hmm. That's like what I strive for. <laughs> yeah, well, I and hopefully, I mean, because frankly, business is stressful. Like life is stressful, mm-hmm. so... 
So going into business for yourself, being a sole proprietor and, and then trying to grow a business is a fraught exercise at any time, at any time in life. And I guess, you know, some of, you know, some of this conversation is just motivated by the thought that, you know, I think the landscape industry is actually doing okay compared to some like restaurants. I mean, I, I live performance. Or some of the entertainment where so, you yeah. can't physically meet to shoot a movie or a TV show. Right. It's, it's very difficult it's if you do. Yeah. You know, and, and so we're seeing people innovate in, in exciting ways and things like that. But, but there is a lot of heartbreak in the small business community because people are losing their livelihoods or their, you know, it's, okay, maybe they could go back to a nine to five, but that wasn't what got them up in the morning. You know, mm-hmm. if you're going to be in a business, it's because you are going to, I don't know, eat, breathe, talk about it constantly. Even when we're on walks as a family, it's like, we're talking, we're talking, we're talking, we're, we're thinking it through because we love it so much. And so, yeah, mm-hmm. maybe there, maybe there is a livelihood to pursue outside of that. Although I'm sure, I'm sure the toll on the general economy is pretty stark right now, but um, you know, there's a reason we stepped out of our professional roles and right. into this one. I think, you know, I can bring up, I mean, I've had that urge. I mean, it's since having a paper route, cutting mm-hmm. lawns, mm-hmm. babysitting. It was doing that landscape work as a teenager. You know, we had the family lawnmower, I'd move it through the neighborhood. And like the fair wage for a teenager, it was not that different that than if an adult cut the lawn, if it was, a, so it was very profitable as a teenager to have, to like, to be collecting money and have hundreds of dollars in your pocket mm-hmm. from, from visiting your clients on a Saturday and, and collecting what you did during the week. It's not that different now, actually. You know, well, and it's, it's funny <laughs> to think through what one's strengths are. And this is one of the reasons that it can be really challenging to be a sole proprietor in, in particular, because we have these different sort of, kind of like the plants in the landscape. We have these different strengths and weaknesses, different personalities. So I can think back to like selling Girl Scout cookies or trying to do like the lemonade stand and just having no tolerance for sales, Mm. uh, which I think a lot of, you know, some people of my personality type can relate to. And so how do you, how do you function in business when it is fundamentally about selling something? You know, I mean, you can like you can foster a positive work environment. And but at the end of the day, you are trying to earn something at a minimum to support yourself. So it sounds like you knew that you were a salesperson from the start. I liked getting out there. It was exciting meeting the clients. I guess I've always felt there's so much opportunity Mm. when I graduated from college as an illustrator. I mean, I was a social person. I frequented bars and restaurants and that was where some of my early work was creating murals. Some of them were very large scale, like, mm-hmm. like a whole ceiling of a restaurant, like a vaulted ceiling or a mural at a, at a wine store or a children's bedroom, like uh, Disney characters. So it was through friends and family. That's, I mean, that's often been my network. It's like mm-hmm. friends, family, the business community. And there's that term, you know, have your elevator speech ready, have your, I was part of the Goldman Sachs program and we worked on, on like a 30 second spiel. Like, mm-hmm. what do you do? And then, and, I, and then like when you go to a bank, like within seconds, you need to get to how much you're asking for, how much money you're asking for. And so just getting comfortable with, this is what we do. This is what we offer and getting, being very concise, whether it's 
like the long version might be a minute and a half where mm. you would it'd be a little more in depth but it's very concise and just practicing it and believing it and mm. Well, and I come from the analytic side of things, and I think that's why there is a good balance is if you are the, we call it the extroverted sort of salesperson, the person with the big ideas, it helps to partner with somebody with uh, the analytical skills Mm -hmm. because to some extent, having gone through loan applications for business funding, in some ways, your idea won't matter and you're just being asked to put down the money. Like how, what are your, you know, like assets and liabilities and how mm-hmm. much do you need and how are you going to use it? And it's in the, how are you going to use it that, you know, you need some traction, you need to be able to articulate, but then having that partnership has for us been, I guess, somewhat successful. So far. Right. Very successful. It's definitely a challenge. So, I mean, we also bring to it that we're married and business partners but respecting the roles can be really key. Mm-hmm. But then it's, you know, there is also that challenge because I come from a performing arts background where you are, again, essentially, if you're going to be a performer, you're a sole proprietor, all, just by default, you're putting yourself out there, auditioning, taking roles, maybe teaching. And as soon as you partner with someone else, they automatically have input on the direction you're going to go. So if you're going to mm-hmm. start an, organ- an arts organization, for example, and you get one big donor, but that donor really likes a certain, a certain direction, then, you know, your freedom as a sole proprietor starts to wane a little bit. Mm-hmm. Remember, we can go into more detail at some point, but the Goldman Sachs program that's throughout the U.S., you apply, it's, it's to support entrepreneurship. So it's mm-hmm. to grow businesses that are already that have an initial success. And least. small businesses in small particular. Business. That's yeah. part of the Small Business Administration. Mm-hmm. That's part, it's like a facet of the U.S. government. So one of the intake questions they had, which in a way was like, like a risk assessment, mm-hmm. even if you didn't know it, was, do you, is your in, does your income come, is it 50% or more from one client? Mm. So some people would be very proud. I have one, it's the best client. And mm-hmm. that's, it's very risky. It's very mm-hmm. dangerous. Because, I mean, like, if there's, Enough. If you're even if you're just in one industry, like you do design, it's only for resorts. And I met firm owners during one of the financial downturns. The builders in the resort they all went out of business, mm. and so the firm was stuck being owed millions of dollars, and they had to lay off half of their staff. So it's being diversified. It takes work because mm-hmm. we have a client that loves your work, whether it's private, public, whoever the client or government. You keep growing and growing and growing, but, but it's, it's, it's actually introducing instability. Mm-hmm. And it takes discipline to say, we need to be diversified. We should also be in real estate and public work. Mm-hmm. And- well, and it's also a, it's a bit of a dance because the moment you overextend yourself, you lose focus in some cases. Mm-hmm. You, you know, branch out into education and then you don't. <laughs> You don't get your classes done or whatever the case may be. You know, we have some ideas for things that we'd like to do with the business. And there is being disciplined and not getting overextended. Because then when you do have the bandwidth to focus on it, you'll find things can move along very quickly. Like there, if it's a reasonable idea, there is probably a market out there. You know, you're finding your niche. You're finding the clients that that you have good good rapport with or the students that like your teaching style like our classes might not be for everyone mm-hmm. but they're for someone right. and 
you know, you want to be ready to kind of, I hate to say capitalize on it, but this is a business episode, but you want to be able to kind of like run with it when the time comes. To have like the bandwidth. Like we'll sense that sometimes when Mm -hmm. we'll have like six or eight or 12 projects are coming in and we'll have someone in our network that's going to be doing freelance work or part-time work. And we'll say, we need to activate them mm-hmm. and what's your availability. And then, and then also activate some additional people, whether it's in Texas or New York, start to sort of forecast the work. If there's contractors we work with, I mean, I'm always seeking, it could be someone to partner with like an engineer or an architect, landscape architect. And then they might call us to collaborate. We might call them. Mm-hmm. And then the subcontractors that are, could be builders, landscape contractors. I'm always keeping my eyes open for skilled mm-hmm. ones. Because when a big project comes in, the client's excited. And to say well, it's going to be a six-month wait, is, mm-hmm. that is horrible news to deliver. Sure. And so, but being diversified and is important. And so we actually use networks, the Better Business Network. In other countries, I would imagine there are similar mm-hmm. networks. ISA, we certainly reach out to certified arborists because we know Quite that the business model is that they're likely to meet with a lot of different contractors. It's like if you reach out to a contractor, they're going to sell themselves and their services, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so those, those certified arborists, or you can think of an equivalent for, for your type of business, uh, somebody who kind of has that, that local knowledge but is not, is not going to be tied to trying to sell their services without you having a chance to kind of check it out for yourself. Right, like an interior yeah, designer. Yeah, so that can be daunting. Yeah. Architects, engineers. We work with lawyers for a tree valuation and other things. Well, in some areas in which we've sought out professional help, because the other thing about being a small business, uh, which is actually classified as any business up to 500 people, which sounds big to me. But, it's like, um, the, like the Internal Revenue Service. Yeah. That's like official. Like, right. And the majority of businesses in the U.S., the number of businesses, if I remember these numbers roughly, it's there's about 10 million small businesses in the U.S. And most of them are one person mm-hmm. Or, mm-hmm. or a few people. The ones that are much bigger than that, it's less than a million mm-hmm. that are more than, I forget the number, like more than three people or five people. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people go to school for to be a lawyer or landscape architect, and then they start practicing. That mm-hmm. is a lot of the economy. Yeah, for sure. Understanding who you are is important. And getting clear about what your goals and priorities are, what kind of work you, you know, there's, because of the uncertainty, there can be a tendency. Um, I've worked in entrepreneurship quite a bit, studied it, actually. It's my research topic for my dissertation. So there is the, this projection of what you should be, of what, you know, Mm -hmm. how you adapt yourself to, to business or to entrepreneurship and rather than that internal work of kind of figuring out who you are and what you have to offer to people. If that's the way you, you know, I mean, going in and being a part of a larger firm and having that security is, is really a completely valid path. You know, like that is another thing to know about yourself. And I did that for a long time until joining you in business. And I'm still sort of in the role of chief administrator, not chief salesperson because it wasn't for me. So that's, it's, that's a, a great way to go. So being clear with, with who you are and what kind of work you would never do mm. if, you, if you didn't have to 
Um, it's almost a place to start. No, because like, the goal like what is... Don't, what, don't you, what don't you want to do? Yeah, the uncertainty really fosters this sense that like, well, I got to do what it takes to earn enough to kind of keep this going. Um, so I'll take on whatever. And then we get stuck. We get defined by that or we get stuck doing it and it's not a good fit. And, you know, and then the other is um, not kind of accepting an amount that we can't afford, you know, like the minute you undervalue your service, you're stuck in a cycle of under earning and being busy with the things that are not paying you well enough. So, you know, I mean, sometimes we have to make a leap from a full-time job and, and work on our business on the side. But if it, if it feels like it's kind of not working or you're losing ground, it may be that those prices are, are too low because we're just accepting whatever, like we're willing to accept the pay that's coming our way rather than saying, well, I think this service should really be valued at this amount. This is what I need to make in order to do this, or it's really not worth my time. Mm -hmm. And then, and then trust that that focus will start to attract the people that can do that. I mean, it's, it's tough. Like (laughs) I know it is, but there's lots of faith, lots of footwork and faith. Yeah. And things happen. Like the economy bottom falls out of the economy. We, we get a pandemic. It's not to suggest that it's easy. And, and I think one of our strengths is that like we're will, we are willing to do whatever it takes. Like if, and we, if hustle. we have to, yeah. Like if there's these projects, we're going to take a family vacation. So mm-hmm. we're going to hustle to get these projects out. These, there's deadlines that are coming up and we're going to deliver. And it's a five-day trip to a house in the country. So right. it's not like we're going away for two weeks or, or traveling far. Like it is hard to detach. Like that work-life balance is another tough consideration to make if, if you think business is for you. And as I was saying just a, a little while ago, like we have sought professional help where it's necessary because I guess the point of finding out who you are is understanding again, what your weaknesses might be, being really accepting of that, and then inviting people in who may tell you, you have to do things differently. Mm-hmm. Accounting <laughs> is a big one. Paying your taxes is a big one. That's what some of these groups have been helpful. Like there's, in the U.S., the Small Business Administration has a program called SCORE, mm-hmm. which is, it's all, my experience is it's like retired, very successful business people. So all backgrounds, men, women, that are, like they're definitely older, not necessarily old. And they want to share their expertise Mm -hmm. and you meet with them. And so their feedback was exactly like you said. So like the accounting, we seek that. We seek outside design for marketing Mm -hmm. like on a specific project base. And Um, in particular, the branding, like branding is such a buzzword, of course, in entrepreneurship and the kind of knowing who you are is important but how do you then translate who you are to other people? Mm-hmm. So it's good to get clear with yourself about what your goals are and how you kind of want to structure how you're going to earn your living because it will become your life in a lot of ways. But then you sometimes run into this disconnect with how it's being understood by other people. Right, like the words they use. Mm-hmm. That's a, a member, a mentor shared that with me. You might say... Like, let's say you sell ice cream and you're saying this is organic. It's these local cows. It's fresh uh, fruits. And so that's how you're selling it. That might, what you think is important. And someone, what they're seeking actually is entertainment. They're Mm. like, I want to sit, look out at a beautiful view and have some ice cream. 
No, I'm thinking of Pittsburgh Dairy. In <laughs> oh, right. That's Pitts, amazing. Well, in the Rochester area. <laughs> so the way, so a technique that everybody can apply that's very simple is when someone contacts you, listen very carefully. What words are they using? Mm-hmm. So they might use, so we might say we're boxwood experts. And people, they might contact us and they might say, our garden is overgrown or it needs restoring or mm-hmm. it's neglected or I need a plant doctor. People have used those mm-hmm. words. So, and then in a marketing sense, you can use the words that you receive and then have that be your outgoing marketing, you know, mm-hmm. part of it. Mm-hmm. So like within an organization, it's I'm an expert horticulturalist or other factors, but the users may like the internal jargon in one's trade might mean nothing. It often means nothing to the to your clients. Mm-hmm. One of the challenges of talking about business, I think, is that it can often feel so anecdotal. Like, well, I'm not in the same region. I'm not the same person. I don't have the same network. You know, so someone will tell you their entrepreneurship story, and then it feels like, well, I, 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 I couldn't mean, do I don't that. Have those things. So, <laughs> so translating it through the programs you've been in through the research that I'm aware of into actionable steps, like things you can actually do. Like, yes, it's anecdotal, but the encouragement is to pause, I guess, and think through your own networks, your own access to opportunity. And, Mm -hmm. and ultimately, you know, the interesting thing about human beings being in business with each other for each other is that we're providing services to each other. There really is genuinely a need for entertainment, for a service, for, you know, whatever the idea is, we're out there spending money on it. <laughs> so it just right. often depends on like who the provider is. And it's okay, depending on what our comfort level is with these ideas of business and entrepreneurship, it's okay to, to put yourself in, in the mix and say like, well, you know, I think I can do this and do it well. And I would like to offer my services. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that perspective helps it feel a little more organic for those of us who are not like, oh, I just want to like make a bunch of money, (laughs) which it's not really about that. You know, that's a key component. We have to be very mindful of the income and the outflow. But the idea that it is this exchange of human energy, human service. And it's that, it's that's spiritual helpful. too. If, you, yeah. if I approach it in a spiritual, that it's, it's a fair exchange, then things go well. If yeah. it's yeah. like in my own experience, when things, when it doesn't feel like a fair exchange, I'm not going to do that again. Right. So it's not sustainable, but right. a fair exchange where both sides feel like, boy, I got more than I paid for. Or mm-hmm. Cause that can be getting carried away and overcharging for things like thinking like, mm-hmm. Oh, stuff is going well. I'm making a name. Let me jump up my prices and see how that goes. I mean, deep down, if you're an ethical business person, you'll know if it's not, if you've priced it too high and then, and the balance gets off, I find. In that know? same, it was a contractor here in Houston. I remember him saying that it was so straightforward, but if you have too much work, then your prices probably aren't high enough. Mm. If you don't have enough work, your prices are probably too high. Yeah. That's a really helpful metric. And so. it depends on the industry, you know, like what part of the country you're in, mm. how what the economy is. Some of our services, we created smaller packages mm-hmm. where, we'll, where we do a phone consult or we do a basic hand-drawn plan as opposed to a full CAD, you know, fully illustrated plan. Mm. And just explaining, like I had a meeting recently 
where we're getting close to the final concept plan. And I said, now some clients find this is sufficient. They can hand this off to their builder or their contractor. If you would like, we do the construction details where mm-hmm. how is this wall going to be built? Where the exact, what stones are we going to use? Mm-hmm. What kind of paving? We'll get the samples. We'll supervise the building, the construction. Mm-hmm. And so this particular client said, we want you involved. Mm-hmm. That, like we're not going to, and like we're not going to supervise it. And the contractor, I mean, like they're often running an army. Mm-hmm. So they're going to come in. Their goal is to do to do what they're being paid to do and leave. Mm-hmm. And so the artistic part is really separate from that. And so mm-hmm. if you want things to come out beautifully, having that it's not it's not added overhead. You know, it's it's really it's the finished product. It's a good value. Well, and people people also value choice. It makes us. I mean, I think it's just sort of a human trait. It makes us generally feel good to know that there's choice and. As a, as a business owner, as the proprietor, it's helpful to manage the choices, to offer choices, but then be clear about what they are, what they are and, you know, so a menu of design options, as you said, mm-hmm. or a certain duration of relationship that has a clear ending that then can be renewed, you know, the way you would do if you were a um, consultant. And so, again, a lot of this does require that personal kind of reflection, but it, you know, some of it is also honestly trial and error. And I, and I do hear in like, (laughs) you know, entrepreneurship courses or, or podcasts on business owners, the number of times that they use the term failure, like you have to try and fail, Mm -hmm. you know, in a way it's not failure, but it is experimentation. Like we've done some, some attempts at growing the business that just did not work. (laughs) So I don't actually think of them in terms of like failure because failure would mean full stop. We're, you know, we're not in business anymore or something like that. So this, this concept that you can course correct or adapt uh, pivot. I know that's a big sort of like (laughs) keyword that you're not like wedded to your idea is the best idea. You know, and another example comes from a side business that that I have, which is a tutoring business. I've been a tutor for a very long time. I'm very good at it. If you want your children to have good SAT scores, I know how to do that. Um, <laughs> little strange right now is like we're not sure what's happening with college admissions testing this this year. So again, like unexpected things come up. But you know, I tend to be very wordy. I think my I think the website that I put up initially without any feedback. It's going to reflect me, but that might not, as we said before, be what the clients are looking for. I've asked my sister to kind of like work with me in partnership because she has the uh, elementary school certification, which I don't have. Mm-hmm. So that is, you know, how do I hire teachers and train them to do that if I don't know it? Um, so it's that, yes, I would love to think that I am such perfection that I can launch a business and it's going to be this fabulous success from day one. But it really is accepting, like, oh, this doesn't seem to be working. Can I try something else? Am I really giving it my attention? Do I need someone else's perspective? And then being receptive to that. I hate criticism, but it works. Yeah, I've had luck. We don't, we don't think we do it currently. I mean, we hire other professionals we pay. Mm-hmm. It's not, we don't do like a barter system. But when I was starting out, I did that. Mm-hmm. I didn't have mm-hmm. thousands of dollars mm-hmm. to have a lawyer help review the contracts or thousands of dollars for a marketing plan. And so in, it's what's called your, your resource network, mm-hmm. which is 
I mean, it could be the person that cuts your hair. It could be your high school history teacher. I mean, people that you know, that's mm-hmm. your resource mm-hmm. network and they have resources. And so I, and I've got, so I went to a person that was a marketing person, a person that was a, a lawyer, like a contract lawyer. I, I'm trying to think who else. And so I exchanged my services. Mm-hmm. I did specialized pruning for them. I did a plan. I, I even bought plants and planted them. And mm-hmm. that was, and we spelled it all out, you know, that it's going to be like eight hours of, uh, of legal advice. Mm-hmm. And in exchange, I'm going to give you eight hours of, of design. Yeah. And that formalization is really helpful. I mean, yes, it's not a nine to five. You are going to think about it 24 seven, but, but having the boundaries, having, um, even if it's just a desk in your house that's set aside to be your workspace, I mean, it does make it, I tend to do my writing for school and stuff, just kind of on my laptop sitting down. That works for me. But when I work with students, especially remotely right now for tutoring, you know, having a specific space set aside, the, the mm-hmm. but also, as you said, these formalized relationships, like even though my sister's coming on board to partner with me on the tutoring company, or even though we're working together, it's like, I have a title. I have a job description. It's like being respectful, having boundaries, having boundaries, and saying yeah. it could be a friend you're working with, it could be a spouse, a sibling. I mean, we do that where I say, "I have a business question. Can I?" Because you, you might not be in the business mode. You might be in yeah, mother mode. That or maybe, totally happens. Or you worked like late the next, mm-hmm. the last day, so you're taking like a late morning, having a cup of coffee, just saying, "I have a business question. Can I run this by you?" Mm-hmm. And when you do that to me. I think both of us generally say yes, mm-hmm. but it's sort of preparing yourself. Absolutely. Have somebody launch in this contract, you know, they have, they need corrections, a deadline. We have to, there has to be this bank transfer. It's, it's just, it's just normal business. But when you're not in that mode for a moment, it can be jarring, mm. you know, and it can lead to conflict. Well, and especially when it's like, I mean, cause the, at the end of the day, it's always working with other human beings. Like, again, the, yes, there's a service people, people are out there. They want, they need it. They're consuming it. But then you're also engaging with people and their personalities that like who they are. So especially Mm -hmm. if it's something like design and it's this ongoing working relationship and, and people are not always happy. (laughs) I want to say people are mostly happy with what we do or we wouldn't be in business. You know, even if it's just that misunderstanding or, or the, the, invoicing system because everything's so automated like if an, i'm just this is a hypothetical but like if the invoicing system sends them a reminder that their services or their payments past due but we haven't rendered service you know oh, that, right, that happens stuff like that can happen and then you're off on like a slightly odd footing you're like so the client interactions you definitely need boundaries around like you need you know i won't respond right away to an email or i'll run it by you so that we're just kind of like you know, because the business is our livelihood. And so for anyone out there with a business or thinking of starting a business, the stakes can feel so high that that, that I don't know, that blind faith is a little hard to hold on to. But, you know, the more we approach things with that sort of steadfastness and the mm-hmm. steadiness, emotionally, <laughs> the better things go. Yeah, pausing yeah, before responding, yeah, yeah. having... I mean, I try not to send messages. I mean, maybe I think of it like 10 o'clock at night, mm-hmm. but not, not, not so because people yeah, not get good. messages 24 hours a day. Yeah. It's um, hard to turn off. I mean, even, even with our, our, I call it the nine to five job, but like even a professional position, especially if you're working from home these days, like that, 
communication is constant. So that right. having those boundaries, keeping things, I always come back to the term professional, like keeping the, you know, I mean, it's so funny. If you're a teacher, I taught as a graduate student instructor through my doctoral program, you know, if, even if you're communicating with students, stuff can come through that's like, hey, did you get da, da, da? And, and, you know, I try to keep the responses professional, like even mm-hmm. email form. I, it feels like it lapses into a chat a lot of times. And like, I'm like, hey, so what's and up? So, blah, 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 blah. And really, that's just for me to remember that, like, at all times, how would I behave if somebody were coming into my brick and mortar store? Mm-hmm. I wouldn't be like freaking out. <laughs> I mean, I hope I wouldn't be. And that's a little hard these days because the the veil is so thin. We've got like, you know, instant communication. People can see what's going on with us through through our social media. Mm-hmm. You know, we're putting it out there in a way that's pretty personal and immediate. And so it's right. like, you know. Yeah, being professional. I mean, we refer, this, this may be old-fashioned, but we refer to the clients as like Mr. and Mrs. Mr. and Mrs., you know, W mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in the in the office, like always be respectful. Mm-hmm. That I mean, maybe we're frustrated, like oh my gosh, you know, they wanted this, I did this, and they're still not happy. That's just human nature. I mean, I I do the same thing to people we oh, hire. All the, yeah, I mean, but, it certainly gives you perspective on how hard other business owners are working to try to keep you happy. So. Right, <laughs> but like 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 the culture we create with mm-hmm. our employees and vendors and subcontractors to. To be professional, mm-hmm. not to say, oh my gosh, I can't believe this happened again. To say, mm-hmm. be respectful of the clients, of the vendors, of the employee, to have respect all around. Yeah. It's a work in progress, I tell you, but worth working toward because it certainly makes the, the balance and the steadiness kind of seem more manageable. And so that's just a little bit of a window into our experience as business owners, which we reference a lot on the show, a few tips from the field of, I guess, business or entrepreneurship education. Neither of us have an actual MBA, but the concept of being your own business. And I really think that, you know, a lot of that is how organizations function, how people interact with each other. You know, there are a lot of really high level concepts you can get into in business. Books on like I'm a big reader, so I'm always reading. And there's subjects you think, oh, how do you, when we pay sales tax, it's probably a half dozen states. Mm -hmm. And so there's people that have done that before. And there's business networks online and groups Mm -hmm. and all kinds of support. And finding an accountant, do you work? I mean, the greater New York City area is the Mm tri-state, New York, New Jersey, Connecticut. And there's a mid-Atlantic in Maryland, Delaware. So there's regions, if you're working there, Finding someone, if you're going to hire an accountant or a lawyer or a contractor, those are good questions. Like, the, like, like part of our business, we're always qualifying people that we, that we want to partner mm-hmm. with. And then that makes us stronger. Yeah. It's like, oh, I know Texas you know, law inside and out. Well, and so although we're bringing the small, small business perspective to this, there's always the intersection with big business there are there are moments where maybe you get a an offer to be bought out by a bigger business or maybe Mm -hmm. you're you're going to try to scale up your business and so you've got to interact with something like the banking system which tends to be a little more a little more big business (laughs) they've got to be established and have the money to lend you so so doing that research and kind of understanding where 
where small business, scrappy, do-it-yourself entrepreneurship is going to start intersecting with the big business world because you mm-hmm. then you have to, like no again, jargon. not just be professional, but really pull it together and have your information handy and, and transparency, understand every part of your business and know, you know, where the money's going and and what the regulations are. And that stuff can be hard to comb through, but it's worthwhile because you then you're ready to kind of approach these big business scenarios with a lot more clarity. And and the Goldman Sachs program helped with that. We did lots of role playing. The professionals came in. Mm-hmm. Remember there was like a like a lending uh, seminar in the, the small business administration sponsors all types of business mm-hmm. loan lending. And those like like you said earlier, they don't necessarily care if it's selling landscape design or ice cream. You want to describe what you're selling briefly, but when you're asking for financing, they look at certain numbers. You know, like what is what money's coming in, what money's going out. There's very simple numbers, which is that information's available. That's really all they care about. And so those numbers ought to be ought to be favorable. And mm-hmm. if they're not, then you can work on them. Yeah, it's good to know them. All right. So that's pretty much all we have time for in this episode. We've discussed a lot of business principles. So that might be our principles of the week. <laughs> you know, one, maybe a principle, well, I mean, unless you have one, would be authenticity. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's uh, like, I think that's what I heard you say. It'd be, your, be your authentic self. When we select plants and materials, whether it's a brick or a stone, that it's like authentic, that it's, it suits that place. Mm-hmm. I think when we do that, it's not always easy, but it's sustainable. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right. So um, feel free to give us feedback on this episode. We sort of went in an entirely different direction, but we know a lot of the people in our industry are, you know, sole proprietor designers, people with small firms, people with contract, you know, trying to do the subcontracting installation for people like us. And so mm-hmm. there's, um, it's a big ecosystem and one that we're always enthusiastic to be a part of and, you know, really hoping and that like us, you know, we all kind of get through uncertain times more or less intact. So we're, we're hoping for that for the other business owners out there. Thank you um, for listening. And we look forward to another topic next week in the landscape. Very good. Thank you. Okay. Take care. Bye. In the Landscape is brought to you by King Garden, a full service landscape design, care and education company. Enjoying what you hear on our podcast? We encourage you to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen. We'd love to hear from you. So drop us a line at connect at kinggardeninc.com. We welcome show ideas, gardening and design questions, and always corrections. We travel all over North America giving garden talks and leading trainings. Check us out at kinggardeninc.com for our speaking details. And also take a look at our online course offerings for more in-depth explorations of topics covered on our show.